Welcome to the 16th episode of It Wasn't Me, a True Crime podcast, where we talk about murders that intrigue us. I am Cindy. And I'm Mercedes. In this week's episode, a store clerk is senselessly murdered in an act of overkill, and the murderer is caught by a $2 bill. Thank you for listening to last week's episode, where a possessed teen kills his parents with a sledgehammer, slashes three of his siblings with a hatchet and a butcher knife, and leads police on a slow speed chase through, the sub- through a suburb of Huntsville, Alabama. Fair warning. This can be extremely horrifying and graphic, and we will use offensive language. So if you have kids, put them away for a while and join us for a murder. Also, be forewarned, we are passionate and always have been about true crime, but sometimes we will make jokes and laugh during our podcast. For more information and links to our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages, visit our website at itwasn'tmetruecrime.com. Subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform and please give us a five-star rating. While you are there, leave us a comment telling us which murder intrigues you. And if you like our show, please consider supporting us through patreon.com forward slash it wasn't me pod we appreciate our patreon supporters more than words can express thank you so very much hey mercedes how are you doing i'm fantastic how are you i'm doing really well thank you what'd you do this week well, you know, I worked my um, my necessary job, but uh, we watched some great Netflix stuff this week. I watched the Aaron Hernandez. Um, you haven't seen that yet, right? No, I have not. Okay, so um, I'm not going to talk about it until after you see it, but I wanted to mention that we have been watching the Hip Hop Evolution, which is um, another series that's on Netflix, and... Episode 14, we talked about C-Murder, Corey Miller, and his brother is Master P. And I just thought it was interesting because Master P was talking about growing up in the ghetto. And they had another brother named Kevin. And in the 1990s, Kevin was um, sh- Kevin was shot. But Master P said that when he and Kevin were younger, they used to say, you know, if we can make it past 19 in this ghetto, we're going to survive. And then... Like, just soon after he turned 19, Master P said that his brother was shot, and he was shot four times by a so-called friend. Mm. So, I just thought that was kind of like, oh, my gosh, we just talked about how awful it was, how awful it was in Louisiana for these guys. Yeah. Yes, very much so. I mean, I was in complete shock at how rough and just awful their neighborhood was portrayed, so I'm assuming that it's probably... It could have been a whole lot worse. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. So anyway, yeah, that that's uh, pretty much what we did this week. So, um, yeah. Well, I watched high school wrestling this weekend. That's what I did. Uh, yeah, I bet your butt's sore, right? <laughs> yes, I have bleached your butt for sure. So, Sanu, so you're going to talk to us about a murder this week, right? I sure am. So, so where where are we gonna? Where's this taking place? Tell us a little bit. Well, just tell us your story, please, please. <laughs> All right. Well, we are in North Carolina. All right. So on the evening of March twenty third, nineteen ninety two, Raymond Dale Rousey and his half brother, which I don't, normally would not differentiate between half and whole siblings, but. Considering his half-brother's name is Raymond also, I was a little confused by that at first. All right, so these brothers both have the same first name, Raymond? Yes. You know, this is my brother Raymond. This is my other brother Raymond. 
Yeah, <laughs> George Foreman. Did he name all of his sons George? I believe and so. Then, yes. And wasn't there like an old show a long time ago where? Yeah, that's the. This is my brother Daryl. This yes. is my brother, my other brother Daryl. So, all right. So we have two Raymonds. How are you going to differentiate in the story? I'm going to refer to them by their last names. Oh, because we have Rousey and Steele. Yes. So we have Raymond Dale Rousey and his brother Raymond Lee Steele. Well. So on the night of March 23rd, 1992, they were hanging out at Steele's house. They were wrestling around, playing cards, and listening to the radio. And I'm sure there was probably some liquor involved. It doesn't say that, but I'm going to go with there probably was. Probably some marijuana, too. All right, so these guys are still pretty young. They're around 20, 21 years old. So they got bored of the wrestling. They got bored of the radio. They got bored... Of playing cards. So they decided they were going to take a walk to the local Circle K convenience store. I don't know. Um, I know what a Circle K is. We had them here. I think the, the lone Circle K is no longer here anymore. Well, um, in 1992, I, I remember, I mean, I was not going to say how old I was, but, <laughs> you know, in, in convenience stores at that time, you could usually go and you could play video games. There's like a little room and they would have whatever the video games were popular at the time. I remember when I was young, it was like Pac-Man and Donkey Kong and Galactica, should I not, <laughs> whatever it was, Battlestar Galactica, whatever. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it, it was kind of a hangout, you know? Okay. All right. Um, I don't really, I'm trying to think, I don't recall... Maybe one video game, maybe, I don't know. Well, anyway, so they walked to this nearby Circle K store, or Circle K convenience store in Burlington, North Carolina, because that's where we are. This is where this is taking place. So Rousey and Steele left their house, or Steele's house, around 12.30 a.m. on March 24th. So technically, it's crossed over from the 23rd to the 24th. They arrive at the Circle K approximately 30 to 40 minutes later. Damn. That's, that's a long walk. At that, I mean, yeah, yeah that's a long that walk. That is a long walk. When they arrived at the store, they obtained some change for video games. <laughs> I told you. <laughs> Since several dollars playing. Then they went to the back of the store where they were able to check out the movie rental display. So they're going to the back of the store to do this? Like, uh, you know, like mm, pornographic materials back of the store or just like the back aisle? I think it says the back of the store, so I don't know if it was like a behind the red door type behind situation. The <laughs> right. So Rousey then asked Steele to give him some money so that he could buy a snack, and he gave him two bucks. Rousey went to the counter to buy a bag of M&Ms, and then once he found out how much the M&Ms caught, he went back to the candy aisle, got another bag, and then paid for his items. At this time, this is when Rousey pulled out a gun out of his pocket and pointed it at the sales clerk. He pulled the trigger and it clicked, but did not fire. Then um, he did something to it. When the gun clicked, Rousey turned to steel and smiled. He told his brother then that he had scared the clerk with a water gun. So was it really a water gun? I don't know. We'll find out. All right. So Rousey then turns back to the clerk, jerks up the gun again, and fires the it fires and shoots the clerk in the face. Okay, wait, I'm confused. So obviously it's not a water gun. Correct. So it misfired when he tried to shoot it the first time? Yes. I guess it, I don't know if it jammed or it just didn't fire. Maybe 
they didn't have one uh, around in the, I mean, I don't know. So, I, I don't and know. his brother was standing right next to him when this happened. He's like, oh, yeah, I just scared the shit out of the the clerk <laughs> with a water gun. No, his brother was still kind of at the back of the store where the video games and the, um, okay. like the movie rental place All was. Right. All right. So after, excuse me. So when the clerk fell to the floor while. <laughs> the clerk. <laughs> when the clerk. <laughs> the clerk. <laughs> when the clerk fell to the floor while he was following, he, I guess he kind of twisted and he had a, and he turned his back to Rousey and fell on his face. Well, Rousey leaned over the counter and shot the victim again. And then after this, he runs around the counter, fires at least two more shots. And as the clerk lays face down on the floor, Rousey stood over him and repeatedly kicked the clerk in the back of the head. Okay, wait. So was the clerk rude or anything to him? I mean, is there any kind of inciting incident or is this guy just a psycho? Well, it would appear that he is just a psycho. But his brother does ask him later how what what the hell happened here and um so i'll I'll get through that okay so all right (laughs) so after witnessing rousey kick the clerk in the back of the head Steele ran out of the store he was like i'm out of here um and so he ran around the building and into a parking lot and then moments later rousey ran out the door with something kind of stuffed underneath his arm and the gun was still in his hand together they ran and then walked calmly Back to Steele's house. As they were making their way back to the house, Steele was like, um, what the fuck just happened? Why did you cert- Why did you shoot the clerk? Well, Rousey told him that he was playing around. He saw the clerk reach for something, and he thought that he was going to reach for a gun and shoot him, so he shot him first. So does he normally walk around with a gun? Did we, I mean, do we have any evidence of that? No, because we do discuss in a little bit where he got this gun. Okay. All right, so on the way back to the house, Rousey counted out $54 that he stole from the cash register and told Still that he had taken the money from the, from the register. He wanted it to, um, okay, well, Still asked him, so why did you take the money? And he said, well, I wanted it to make it look like a robbery to make it worthwhile. To me, if you're trying to make it look like a robbery, then you're trying to throw the police off but well, then you know what it looks like to me to me it looks like a robbery right <laughs> i mean it looks to me like i mean why else did you pull a gun on a clerk yeah if if the clerk looks like he's reaching for a gun then that must be that you're spooking the clerk out mm-hmm. and i was wondering if the clerk started reaching for the gun or there's no evidence that the clerk was reaching for a gun if the he was one, is, it, is, is that what he's just saying to make it up? Or because he pulled out the gun and, and was pretending to shoot him or scaring him, so to, you know, like he said, was then the clerk trying to reach for something. But from what I can, what I gathered from my research and the readings from newspaper and the court records, um, he just pulled it out and shot him. That there was never never any evidence that this person, the clerk, was reaching for anything. So he pulled out the, the money, and he uh, said that it was to make it look like a robbery, but then to make it worthwhile. I don't know, $54 isn't enough cash to me to, to make anything worth, to make a murder worthwhile. I don't know what kind of money would make a murder worth, worthwhile unless somebody was paying me to kill you know, a pet. I'm definitely not a murderer, but 
Yeah. I certainly wouldn't shoot a store clerk for $54 or even $54,000. No, not at all. Well, this is when Steele noticed that he also, that his brother also had about four to five adult magazines stuffed under his arm. So he had like a penthouse, a Playboy, and whatever Oi magazine is. Oh, well, that might make it worthwhile. Not Oi, we. That's we. That's we. We, we. (laughs) So, um... Rousey had these in his possession. Rousey offered Steele half the money, but he declined to take any of it. However, which this is contradictory, he did accept a $2 bill that his brother had taken from the Circle K. Well, $2 bills are kind of rare. So, you know, hey, dude, yeah, give me that $2 bill. Right. And that $2 bill is going to come back into the picture. All right. So Steele asked if the clerk was still alive, and Rousey said he was unsure. He did tell him that he began kicking the clerk in an effort to ensure the death to ensure the death of the clerk because he was still alive and gasping for air when he came around after being shot multiple times. So Rousey examined the 25 caliber automatic handgun, which was which he had taken from a locked trunk in the home of his girlfriend's mother and indicated that it was dirty. So he told the girlfriend, oh, your gun's dirty. Let me go clean it. No, that's not the way. I think he was he was taking it out and he was like, oh, well, this is dirty now because he said, I can't return it in this condition. So then Steele, like an idiot, cleaned the gun for his brother. So now his fingerprints are all over the murder weapon. Yes. Um, he also, like an idiot, gave his brother bullets to reload the gun because his brother said he didn't want to return the gun empty because it was loaded when he took it from his girlfriend's house. All right, so Howard Rue Sikorsky was only 21 years old when he was working at the Circle K. And this is the clerk, Howard Rue Sikorsky. Yes. So he was discovered at approximately 2 a.m. on March 27th, lying behind the checkout counter. There was a large amount of blood on the floor running from his head from his head to his feet. Dr. Karen Elizabeth Chancellor performed the autopsy on Mr. Sikorsky in her examine and in her examination she revealed that six that he had had shot with six gunshot had six gunshot wounds one to the face one to the back of the neck one to the right side of his head and three to the back holy shit poor kid yes the victim also suffered a number of blunt force trauma injuries to the head and neck area one of the gunshot wounds pierced the victim's left lung and resulted in massive bleeding this wound alone would have caused his death so he was gasping for air because he had hole he had a hole in his lungs. Oh my lord. You know, I wonder if they knew each other. They were all around the same age. I mean, possibly, but I did read somewhere else that he had not been working at the store very long. He moved there to um I believe he moved there because a family. I mean, I think really he had only been working there less than 2 months. All right, well, around 2 a.m., another employee by the name of Mildred Holder arrived, and she was able to identify Mr. Score, Mr. Why can't I say his name? Why can't I say his name? I said it fine. So now, is so, I mean, I imagine it was a bloody, awful scene. Yes? I mean, was she freaked out? I mean, I would be for sure, but sorry, go ahead. They actually didn't say that, it, like, if she came in and she found him, it just said that she identified him. So I don't know who called 911, because that was not in any of the information that, because I looked. It could have been a customer who came yes. in and said, oh, shit, call 911. Right. 
All right. So um, she was able also to close out the register and determine that it was short $57.54. The store manager, Brenda Bowles, showed up eventually. And when she arrived, she also noticed that several magazines were missing from the adult entertainment magazine rack. I don't know how, I mean, what did she, there were four magazines there. There's only three now. Well, I mean, I don't, or seven and whatever. I mean, like. It could, I mean, it could be because I know that a lot of times they keep those behind the counter so kids can't get a hold of them. Yes. So it might, they might know exactly how many are. And Circle K, yeah, they do pretty good inventory. My sister used to work at a Circle K. Oh, okay. Well, your sister might know about... I don't know about my sister or her best friend, but one of them worked at a Circle K. Oh, you should ask them about their bait money. Okay. I'm going to ask. All right. So... But I'm intrigued. <laughs> you baited me. I baited you. All right. Well, th- this is when Miss Holder informed the police that um, they were also missing a $2 bill that was kept in the register along with its serial number. This was considered bait money and was apparently company policy. So what they would do is they'd leave that in there, and if they were being robbed, I guess they would give them that $2 bill, or if someone stole money out of the register, you know, just like happened here. So they have this $2 bill where they, they kept the serial number so that if it was spent, then they could trace it. And whoever spent the $2 bill would then be nabbed. Smart thinking. Yes, so she turned the serial number ever to, to the police. At approximately 2.30 a.m. on March 27th, so not very much longer. 24th. Oh, 24th, sorry. Um, Not too much longer. Steele and his girlfriend made a purchase at another convenience store with that $2 bill. And the clerk was able to identify Steele as the person who spent the $2 bill. Steele was was arrested shortly after that. And um, the police conducted a search of Steele's home and were able to obtain the handgun, a pair of bloodies, and a pair of bloody sneakers. Steele initially made February... Ever, several false statements in which he denied any involvement in the murder, but he did admit to being present when Rousey shot and killed Mr. Sikorsky. Raymond Rousey was arrested. It says March, April, 1992. So um, Raymond Steele had really no qualms whatsoever in turning in his brother for this. No, because they were arresting him on first degree murder. But you know what? I don't think I would have, if it was one of my siblings, I would probably do the same thing. Just, I don't think I could cover for somebody who, even family, had murdered somebody like that. Right. I mean, and later on, some of this start, you know, comes up in the appeals about how he he didn't, Seal didn't call the police. He didn't help the person behind the counter, the, the murder victim. And he even helped clean a weapon. So, I mean, there were things that he could have done that he didn't do. And all that kind of comes out. It's, it's still your sibling. Right. But if somebody asked me about it, am I going to cover for him or her? Yeah, I don't no, think so. I wouldn't. No. Siblings, don't commit murder. Okay? <laughs> right. <laughs> so, ultimately, Steele accepted a guilty plea of second-degree murder and robbery with a dangerous weapon in exchange for his truthful testimony against his brother at trial. During the trial, Steele acknowledged that he was testifying pursuant to a plea bargain and that he was, in fact, guilty of the crimes to which he pled based upon a theory of acting in concert. He also indicated that he did not plan or participate in the robbery or the murder and that he was shocked when the shooting began. So Rousey attempted at trial to put the blame on Steele. Of course. Yeah. 
So during cross-examination of Steele, he was asked about this four-page letter that he wrote to his brother that Steele wrote to Rousey, which concluded with the phrase, even though you didn't do it. Steele acknowledges that he wrote that letter, but he denies writing that particular phrase. So he's apparently they're both in jail or wherever they are at this point. And Rousey has a letter that his brother wrote him. But the letter says at the very last thing, even though you didn't do it. Yes. And Steele says, oh, well, I didn't write that. Rousey's saying that his brother wrote it. Correct. He admits to writing the letter. But he denies writing that particular phrase. Well, I mean, is the phrase like in the same handwriting? I mean, would it take a rocket scientist to check that? Exactly. Um, the defense also claims that they have, or that they have two witnesses that overheard Steele admitting to the murder. So a Robert Eastwood, an inmate at the county jail, testified that he overheard a conversation between Steele and Rousey where Steele acknowledged that he killed the victim. Another inmate, Gerald Flynn, testifies that he overheard a jailhouse conversation between Steele and Rousey in which Steele stated he would take the blame for the murder because he did not want his brother to take the blame for something that he did not do. So one guy, one jailhouse snitch says, oh yeah, I heard Steele say, oh yeah, I did it. But then the other guy says, no, I heard Steele say that he would take the blame, which Steele didn't take the blame. He testified against his brother. Right. But at the same time, it says he would take the blame because he didn't want his brother to take the blame for something he didn't do. So who are they saying did it? Right. So isn't that like some kind of defense? There's a movie with that. Oh, yeah. If we both say if we both say the other one did it, that, that creates reasonable doubt. Ah, maybe maybe, maybe? That's their defense. I don't I, think they're that smart. I don't think they are either. I don't think so. All right. Well, the state presented evidence that Rousey's shoe prints were found in blood around the head of the victim and that the evidence uh, and that evidence showed that Rousey possessed the murder weapon before and after the murder. And so given the weight of the evidence, the jury concluded that Rousey was indeed the shooter. The jury returned a verdict finding Rousey guilty as charged on the basis um, of both premeditation and deliberation and felony murder. He was also found guilty of robbery with a firearm. At sentencing, the state initially declined to present any evidence. At first, I was very confused by this. I was like, defense? I mean, I was like, the sentencing? The state is presenting evidence? Because in my mind, you do all of that at the regular trial. But if, you know, if they're asking for you know life in prison without parole they're going to show that this guy is a danger if he comes out right they have to they have to prove that also well so initially the state declined to present any evidence but the defense however presents evidence that rousey came from a broken home oh so what so did i that he neglected that he was neglected by his mommy so was i Still not an excuse for murder. I didn't murder anyone. <laughs> he was exposed to the promiscuous sexual activity of his mother and his sister. Still not an excuse in my, in my book. Oh, no. And that he was illegitimate and had little contact with his biological father and that his mother had a drug and alcohol abuse problem. And to that, I say, so fucking what? Right. They're just grasping at straws here to get the jury to, you know, feel sorry for him. Yes. Uh, Well, they don't. So the state's rebuttal evidence at this point at the sentencing showed that Rousey was responsible for breaking into a church and stealing a number of items valued of approximately $900 just weeks prior to the murder. 
The state also showed that the defendant had been convicted of 15 counts of injury to personal property in 1990, one count of possession of malt beverage by a minor in 1990, Ooh, <laughs> and two counts of misdemeanor larceny in 1990. My question is, is how can they bring up any charges when he was a minor? Does that negate, oh, well, now he's a felon, so we can bring all of this up? I mean, unless they're saying something like, you know, he's been a model model person his whole life. He's never been in trouble before. I could see it that way because then the defense brings that up. Okay. So the defense brings up something, then the, then the state has a right to dispute that. But I don't think the state could bring that up if the defense hadn't gotcha. done it previously. Okay, okay. Um, I should have been a lawyer. <laughs> in 1993, following a capital sentence pre- sentencing proceeding, the jury, rec- the jury recommended death after finding Rousey guilty, in addition to 40 years for robbery with a deadly weapon. You know, I mean, death is, I guess, you know, a death sentence does seem justified here, but then, too, it seems a little excessive. But this is North Carolina. Yeah, um, but what he did to that kid was also pretty yes, excessive. Yes, I mean, I'm not saying that it wasn't, but um, I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I'm torn on the death penalty issue, and I don't want to get into it now, but, right, you know, he, if, if he had killed children or, you know, raped and murdered someone, I don't, I just, I don't know. I don't know. Well, so, he, you know, automatically he gets an appeal. Death sentence, appeal. Yes. Automatically. Right. They don't even have to, like, ask for it. It's just automatic. Well, one of the basis for this, you know, then they have to submit things while they're appealing it. But one of the basis was that a prospective juror was accused, uh, excused, excused from jury duty due to conflicting opinions on the death penalty. Okay. <laughs> I feel your pain, brother. Yes. So the, the, but the appeals court upheld the court's decision. Because the defense was saying that they shouldn't have excused him, but they didn't really. Because the man was conflicted on the death penalty, it would have been hard for him to vote for the death penalty. Right. And the defense is like, you know, we need that guy on our side. Right. But they, at that time, they didn't dispute it. But another factor was, because I did read a little bit about it, was that he would, the juror member was saying, well, I'm totally against the death penalty. Well, then he would say, well, maybe if this was presented. And then, it, so it wasn't so like. kind of like what I just was, did. Yeah. A little bit wishy-washy. Yeah. Yes. Like, theoretically, I feel like the death penalty is very excessive, but. Presented not, with the right I'm information. I'm not 100% against the death penalty. Right. So. I mean, there are certain people that I believe should be killed. And I'm just not sure. That a 20-year-old kid who does something like that, maybe, I don't know. I mean, I'm conflicted. I would I didn't sit in on the trial, so I don't know exactly how, how horrific the crime was either. The defense also contends that the state knowingly permitted Steele to give false statements with respect to Steele's plea bargain. The defense contends that permitting Steele to testify that he did not plan or participate was inconsistent with his guilty plea, and that amounted to presenting false testimony to the jury. In July of 1996, the North Carolina Supreme Court upheld the conviction and death sentence. In November 2003, the Supreme Court of the almost said of the world (laughs) the u.s supreme court denies rousey petition for a writ of say that for me certiorari 
Yeah, that wasn't happening. <laughs> Citroen. Certiorari. Okay. Which is a request for the highest court to review a lower court's decision. And in 19, nope, in December 2003, the Department of Corrections Secretary Beck sets Rousey's execution date for January 9th, 2004. So, in other words, that the lower court's decisions were upheld by the Supreme Court and Rousey is going to die. Yes. On January 7th, 2004, a U.S. District Court judge, Terrence Boyle, stays Rousey's execution. And, and that just basically means, like, we're going to put it on hold until we do a little investigation, right? Yes, that is correct. Okay. Rousey and three other death row inmates contended that lethal injection was cruel and unusual because, re- because it would require them to be awake during the injection, and that was inhumane. Oh, oh. Right. Now... It's, it's They're minus, always awake during yeah. the injection. That's not inhumane. Well, I mean, I we mean, get IVs all the time and we're how okay. How else are we going to give them an injection unless we wait until they're asleep? <laughs> and then we're going to give them an injection and they're going to wake up. But didn't they used to do like gas chambers in North Carolina? This is like right around the time when they switched. Yes. And he was one of the newer ones. And so they're trying to say, well, this is inhumane. But I right. would rather be, I would rather die by lethal injection than the gas chamber. Yes, because I don't think that's, in, I don't think that's humane at all. No. So I, it's my understanding that, I mean, that that's not pleasant, a pleasant way to go. But I also think what they're saying here or what they're trying to say is that what if they're really not asleep? They give them, they put in the IV, they're not really asleep, they just kind of are drowsy. And what if they're, because later on I read that um, if they're in any kind of pain, they might be paralyzed yes. oh. and not able to... To voice their pain or right. display their pain. Yes. But, oh, well. Oh. Yeah, the, the store clerk wasn't able to express his pain. And well, he was. He was gasping for air yes. and he got kicked. Yeah, and then he got kicked. Yeah, exactly. So, well, the Supreme Court said, yeah, sorry about your luck, buddy. They voted five to four in a decision to lift the stay and to go on with the, the execution. And this is the second time they've dealt with him, the Supreme Court, because the first time they're like, no, we're not, we're not giving him clemency. Yeah, so, okay. Oh, no, that was a North Carolina Supreme Court. Oops, sorry. <laughs> January 8th, 2004, the governor of North Carolina, Mike Easley, denies clemency. And his execution is scheduled for the next day, January 9th, 2004. Um, Rousey's family does come to visit him, including his 11-year-old daughter, for whom he has never held, hugged, kissed, touched in any kind of way whatsoever. So the first time she visits her father is the day that he's going to be executed. No. She had visited him before, but in the past they were separated by like glass or bars or, you know, it's not like on the movies where you see and they go into like a a big open area where they can hug and touch. It's more like the glass in between where they're talking on the phone. Yes. Yes. Um, So Rousey does have a last meal. Um, It says that he has pizza, chicken wings, two packages of peanut m&ms he really likes those m&ms well wait because didn't he buy m&ms at the store at the circle k that night he did two packages oh but they didn't say what kind of you know these are peanut m&ms so they're probably peanut m&ms then too that's ironic so he also um drinks a peppy pepsi a pepsi pepsi. (laughs) he offers no final words and raymond dale rousey was pronounced dead at 2 23 a.m by lethal injection in central prison in north carolina 
Wow. I mean, that's, yeah, this is, that's a great story. I mean, a lot going on there. Yes. And, you know, like you said about the death penalty, who knows if, how we would feel if we were privy to all of the trial, you know, but I don't. Right. We don't, we don't know exactly what happened there, but whatever the case is, we no longer have to worry about him being on the streets, right? Nope. There's another bad guy gone. Yep. Well, thanks, Cindy. Thanks so much. So, um, thanks, everybody, for joining us this week. We hope you enjoyed our murder. We really appreciate sharing our passion with you, and we thank you for your support. If you'd like to support us even further, you can subscribe to our podcast. Give us a five-star rating. While you're there, please leave us a comment so that we know ways that we can improve. And you can also leave us a, um, a comment about anything you'd like. Your subscription and ratings are essential to our success, and they help push us up the charts. You can do this on your favorite platform. For more information and links to our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages, visit our website at itwasn'tmetruecrime.com. We are so grateful to spend our time together and share our murderous stories. Thank you so much for listening to us and supporting us. We would like to thank our Patreon supporters. They are the extra. You too can become one of our beloved patrons by visiting and signing up at patreon.com forward slash pod. Subscribe to our podcast and leave us a rating and a review. And thank you again. And remember, it it wasn't wasn't me. me.